Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is great to have you guys for week five of Alpha. At the end of this evening, we will be halfway started or halfway finished, however you're taking this. So, good to have you. Anybody here for the first time tonight? Anybody dare walk in here? The first time folks here. Just welcome. Yay. It's great to have you. Mark, it's good to have you here, sir. Thanks for being here. Well, great. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you've missed any of the last weeks and you're interested in kind of catching up, you can go to lakeviewchristiancenter.com slash alpha, lakeviewchristiancenter.com slash alpha, and you can watch the videos of the preceding weeks. Uh, Or at the end of the evening, you go down the stairs, we've got CDs of all the previous weeks, so you can just listen to those. So there there was some terminology that was introduced last week. That may be new to you, and uh, <clears throat> I'll, I'll do my best to, to remember that, and maybe do a little bit of explaining where I need to. Um, I just, b- before we go any further, I wanted to tell you that part of the Alpha course is something we call the Alpha Weekend. We do this in every 10-week course, because there's really more than 10 sessions of Alpha. And so we invite you to what we call the Alpha Weekend, and it's really sessions 9 and 10 of, of the Alpha course, and, um, it, and so many people say it's a highlight for them. It is just a highlight of Alpha, just doing something on the weekend. So it's Friday night, looks just like this, but on a Friday night, but then we add Saturday morning, and we have an amazing breakfast, it looks like Shoney's, a, a Shoney's smorgasbord. If you've ever done a Shoney's buffet, I mean, it's, I mean, these breakfasts, <laughs> These breakfasts are just heart attacks waiting to happen. I mean, they are just... So we have EMT here and everything else. So it's really... So, so it's Friday night and then Saturday morning. Uh, I just want to give you a heads up on that. We're going to put some registration out for you. It's, again, no charge for any of this. And we just, we love doing this, love having you here, and we'd love for you to be a part of the week, of that weekend. If you can't come Saturday, then come Friday. If you can't come Friday, then come Saturday. Is anybody been to the Alpha Weekend that just guests been to the Alpha Weekend? Okay, just not that many of you, but I would agree, would you agree that it's a good time? Worth your while? Okay. Worth every penny, you don't pay for it. Okay. Great. Well, all right. Well, um... You know, I've told you a little bit about my background. Uh, you know, I did not know what a Bible was, literally. Had no idea what a Bible was until I was a sophomore at LSU, and I was walking from my fraternity house, crossing Dalrymple and Highland, and there's a man standing under a tree, and he's handing out these little green Bibles. And I uh, had no idea what that was. I just, it was free. I'm in college. It's free. You take it. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, so I was looking for coupons, you know, or, but uh, so anyway, but I can remember growing up, as I've told you, having an acute awareness of God and not knowing what to do with that. So I became a, a professional meologist. I tell you that I basically made God into my own image, but I can remember having, I, I think it was a Catholic missile. I don't know what it was. It was a religious book. I know that I can remember putting my hand on this book, telling God, I will only sin five more times. <laughs> You know, and I really, I meant it. Um, I was very sincere. And of course, by the end of the day, we were renegotiating that contract. Um, and I lived my life that way uh, until, by God's grace, I, I came to know something of the person of Jesus. And, uh, but I knew so little about, about the Bible, it was kind of funny. So, 
if there was something, there would be this remedial Bible quiz. And maybe you'd like to take the remedial Bible quiz with me here. So just don't shout out the answers. But maybe, if you want to know, if you want to feel smart to your table, just go ahead and shout out the answer. Um, question one, in what Bible book is God addressed as the man upstairs? Okay. Um, what book reveals the location of the stairway to heaven? Exactly. The Gospel According to Led Zeppelin. Uh, what book reveals the location of the highway to hell? Remember that great ACDC song? Read the words to that song if you want to really uh, get something. Um, what is Jesus Christ's middle initial? H. Some of you knew that. I knew that one. I knew that one. Here's a true-false question. Is Noah's wife's name Joan of Arc? <laughs> I, it, I thought it was. It just made sense that it would be. Um, okay, I had a few more questions that I, I so far I hadn't gotten any right. Um, name the four Gospels. I mean, I, I thought I had that one. St. John, St. Paul, St. George, and St. Ringo. I mean, that's where... <laughs> Uh, that wasn't correct either. Um, what is the scripture that most puts the fear of God in you? I, I knew this one. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. <laughs> so be good for goodness sake. Because you know who's coming to town, don't you? Oh, wait. That's, that's Santa. Okay. All right. Number seven. Um, why should you read the Bible? I, I had clearly no idea. I had no idea. No idea. To tonight's topic. Why and how should we read the Bible? I had no idea. Um, is Christianity based on the Bible? It kind of made sense that it was. Is Christianity only based, based only on the Bible? That seemed a little narrow. So I probably would have said probably no to that. Um, last question. Um, Write down three Bible verses you know. Okay, so I, I, and I, was, I was working hard on this. One, uh, cleanliness is next to godliness. <laughs> My mother told me that was in the Bible. I, probably every mother told their children. <laughs> um, number two, don't be so heavenly minded that you are of no earthly good. Remember that? That's a great one. And then, then of course, we all know this. God helps those who help themselves. Okay. Now, I'm not sure about cleanliness is next to godliness, but these last two scriptures that were in my meological Bible, um, the only way to be of any earthly good, according to the scripture, is to be heavenly minded. It's the only way. And then, God helps those who realize they are helpless. They are irreparably broken. And they cry out to him for a help that they cannot give themselves. But you know, the interesting thing, if you were to ask me, Frank, what's in the Bible? God helps those who help themselves. Or Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I'd had no idea about those other ones, but I would have bet God helps those that help themselves. And because I would have never put myself in a category of being 
helpless because I basically, you know, this, this, I'm going to bring this up, our comparative religion. This is, this is God helps those that help themselves. How much do you have to help yourself? How good do you have to be? See, the importance, one of the great importances of reading the Bible is to find out God's opinion of himself and of us and how we get to know him and ways in which we keep from knowing him. The Bible makes it very clear. And that's why tonight's such, such, an important, such an important topic. Why and how should I read the Bible? But you see, when it came to the Bible, because I hadn't read it, you know, though I had a concept of God as a, as a, as a committed meologist, uh, I assumed things about the Bible and, and, and thought, really thought stereotypically. <laughs> it's kind of funny, though, when you think about this. I never had, um, I had a picture of God that, uh, the Bible, rather, that really every time I thought of a Bible, I thought of the Bible connected to the hands of a big man. And this big man was, was like a preacher dressed in a, Three-piece, polyester suit, about 6'2", 260, 270. Um, he's in front of a congregation. He's, he's got that, you know, they got that, that hair, you know, and, it, and, it, and he's preaching so hard. He's sweating profusely, and the, the sweat's just dripping off his back, beating off his polyester suit. And, uh, but he is pounding his Bible. He's waving it back and forth, uh, and, and he is screaming at his congregation. And he says to them, I got bad news and I got good news. The bad news is you're all a bunch of rotten, no good, dirty sinners and you're all going to hell. So what's the good news, preacher? Well, glory. I'm glad you asked, brother. I just talked to Geico, saved 15% of my car insurance. See, as far as I was concerned, there was no good news. There, there really wasn't. And so I, I thought stereotypically, and I just thought it was really important that he let the... <laughs> little lizard here just preaching. But, you know, stereotypical thinking is really not thinking at all. It's just assuming that's what it is. And for my, much of my life, I assumed. I didn't think. Either because I was too lazy to think, uh, or I was too busy to think, uh, or I just was around what I thought was true for so long, I didn't think I needed to think. But that wasn't the case, as I found. See, because we don't know what the Bible says, we make assumptions. Here's some of the, sumpt- the assumptions. Um... We can't understand it. It's really too hard to read. We just, I'm just a person. I, I've got to understand what's in the Bible. Um, or, or there's so many different interpretations. Which is the right interpretation? Um, it's full of errors. I mean, how do, you, how do you know what's true about it anyway? Uh, or it's all, bad, it's all bad news. I mean, I got enough guilt going on in my life without having the Bible pile on with even more. Um, or my personal favorite... We're not supposed to read it. See, you're not supposed to read it. You can't, because you can't understand it. You need somebody to read it to you and explain it to you. Where did we get that idea? Oh, uh. 
I wasn't looking for an answer, actually, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, but, the, but the truth is, we will not find that anywhere in the Bible. The Bible, again, says just the opposite of, of God helps those that help themselves. The Bible says just the opposite about not reading it. Make sure you don't read this. Warning, do not read. Leave this to a trained professional. It doesn't say this. Look at what, here's what, here's what the Gospel of John says, John 20. But these things are written. Now, why are they written? So that you would read them. So these things are written so that you will read them. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. Now I could give you dozens more sightings just like that. This book that is alleged to have been written by the disciples of Jesus Christ in the power of and directed by the Holy Spirit are words that you and I are to ingest, to let consume us. See, why we read the Bible is because it's, a, it's one of the ways in which we come to know this God who deeply loved us and died in Jesus Christ to Prove it. You know, one of the things we see on, on page 34, I'm sorry, I didn't bring it to your manual, but in page 34, if you want to turn there, you don't have to. But we see that the Bible is a most popular book. Now, these are the top 23 authors of all time. And these top 23 authors, I'm not going to go through any of them. They're just, trust me, it's not that big a deal. Uh, and of all of their writings, okay, whether it's J.K. Rowling and all of her Harry Potter books or or C.S. Lewis, or any of these other people here, uh, 3.5 million, rather billion copies sold total. But if you look at the Bible in just the 1990s, okay, over 5 billion are sold just in the 90s. And that doesn't count the number of copies that are given away, the billions of copies all over the world that are given free of charge. And year after year after year, the Bible is the runaway bestseller wherever Bibles can be sold in the world. It's a very popular book. It's a very powerful book as well. Look at what George Washington had to say. He said, it's impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. I wonder if he's right. This is what Lincoln said. I believe that the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book. Reagan. Within the covers of the Bible are all the answers for all the problems men face. Now, they they could be wrong, but these are men, powerful men, that relied on a power greater than them to be able to fulfill their role in the world. And I could give you dozens of more sightings here. So it's popular, it's powerful, uh, its preservation is simply amazing. And I could spend hours here. Historically, the preservation of this book from the 1st century AD to the 21st century is amazing. We talked in week two. For those of you who are here week two, you remember we talked about the science of textual criticism. And that there's not a book, there's not a, there's not a manuscript in all of history 
with the number of copies, close to the number of copies of the New Testament, with as much qualitative consistency as the books of the New Testament. The New Testament is far and away the greatest, most well-preserved, consistent manuscript that we have in our hands today. Nothing compares to it. Um, One of the world's famous, most famous archaeologists, Dr. Nelson Gluck, he was the president of Hebrew Union College. This This is what he said, he said, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. The almost incredibly accurate historical memory of the Bible, and particularly so when it is fortified by archaeological facts. I don't know if I went past this. Uh, and by the same token, proper evaluation of biblical descriptions has often led to amazing discoveries. I think I read you the wrong quote, did I not? Let me just, let me read from this and not my notes. Let's see here. It may be said, yeah, categorically, no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or in exact detail historical statements in the Bible. And by the same token, proper evaluation of biblical descriptions has often led to amazing discoveries. They form tesserae or little, little tiles in the vast mosaic of the Bible's almost incredibly correct historical memory. Sorry, I was reading a note that I had deleted. And so we see things like Biblical Archaeology Review has been a, has been a magazine, a periodical that's put out six times a year for the last 35 years. And in every Biblical Archaeological Review periodical, there is yet another archaeological finding that more confirms the veracity, the historicity of the Bible through archaeological evidence. Now, another one that's really interesting is prophecy. If you look at the Hebrew scriptures, or what we call, we Gentiles call the Old Testament, there are over 330 messianic prophecies in or foretellings of a Messiah to come, someone who will be a savior, a deliverer. Well, Peter Stoner, in his book, Science Speaks, on the topic of the science of probability. There's a science of probability. The fact of the matter is that Jesus, and if if we, again, had the time, we could look at a lot more of these, fulfilled all 330 of these prophecies. So in in this book, Science Speaks, Stoner comments that one person fulfilling just 48 of those 330 prophecies, the chance of that is 10 to the 157th power. That is 10 with 156 zeros after it. One chance in 10 with 156 zeros after that. I have no idea what that number is. But the chance of that is like the Saints' chance of winning the Super Bowl now that Drew Brees is... Let's, let's, let's all pause and pray just for a moment. <laughs> uh. All right. Now, now, here's the ch- of one person fulfilling just eight of those. Let's look at eight of them. Just eight. The place of the birth, type of birth, t- place of birth, Bethlehem, type of birth, virgin, time of appearance, Daniel, phenomenal, Jerusalem entrance, betrayal, type of death, burial, resurrection. The chance of one person fulfilling these eight or any eight of the prophecies is 10 to the 17th power. That is 
10 with 17, 16 zeros after it. That's chance, one chance. 10 to the 17th power. Now, let me just give you a visual of what that would look like. And Stoner figured this all out and had it certified. Check it out. 10 to the 17th power is the state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars. Okay, I know, it sounds crazy. The state of Texas, two feet deep in silver dollars. Let's say you take one of those silver dollars and put a big red X on it, and you throw it in the middle of the state, and you get a little Texas twister just to stir things up a little bit, and you blindfold someone, tell them they go anywhere in the state, and the chances of them picking that exact red X'd silver dollar is 1 in 10 to the 17th power. It's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing, interesting facts. So there are lots of things that the scripture reveals to us that have been textually found accurate, archaeologically, historically found evident. And then the personal evidences from people's changed lives is simply amazing. Because Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And we'll see next week when we talk about prayer is that the Bible talks about Jesus being the word, the word of truth. And the Bible is the word, the word of truth. But the interesting thing today is that it's just, the issue is really not truth. I mean, think about this today. If just... I know you're paying attention to what's going on in the world and different generational issues. The issue is not so much what the truth is. It's how something makes me feel. Have have you noticed that? We're not so much concerned about banging out the truth as we are wanting something to ameliorate or placate our feelings. And if you have a hard and fast belief, well, you're just not, you're just intolerant. And it's the fascinating thing about this is that the Bible is very clear about it is the truth. How we get to know God, how we get to know about ourselves, why it's so important to read it is because this book reveals to me who God is and how deeply I need him to... Ah, I don't want to get ahead of myself. But the important thing is that God hasn't called us to chuck our brains at the door. And that's what a lot of people think. You know, Josh McDowell, a fascinating gentleman that has spoken over to millions of people all over the world, did not believe in Christ, was challenged, became a follower of Jesus Christ. He said that it was, he believed that, that Christians had two brains. That one was lost and the other one was out looking for it. But it's interesting. God has not called us, according to the scripture, to chuck our brains. Just the opposite. But he has asked us and encouraged us to look for him in humble search. Because if he is God and we are not, it seems like an attitude of humble search would be the one we would want. Not one that says, I dare you to prove yourself to me. I mean, we can do that, and, and I have done that. But this is where I need to be, humbly 
thoughtfully searching. See, because the Bible tells us, if what the Bible says is true, it tells us what we need to know, not all there is to know. I think that's an important thing, to, distinction to make. The Bible tells us what we need to know, not necessarily all we know. I love Mark Twain. You guys know Mark Twain. Great quote by Mark Twain here. It says, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do. See, Twain had gone down the Mississippi River with his Bible and read some things that disturbed him that he clearly understood. See? And so again, I would, I would just offer that God wants us to humbly, thoughtfully search. So let me just, let's just, you know, we took a little test earlier. Let's just take another test here. Here's, um, here's a scripture in, in the Gospel of Matthew. A lawyer asked Jesus a question, testing him. Now, that means a lawyer. He wasn't, it was this one Morris Bart or, you know, he wasn't putting the Womack on him or anything like this. This was a, this is a, a Jewish lawyer. He's, he's, he's well-versed in the law. He's well-versed in what's called the Torah, the law of Moses. He says, the, law, the lawyer asked Jesus a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your, now look at what he says, with all your heart, with all your soul, don't answer the question yet, and with all your, it's a multiple choice, with all your sincerity, with all your enthusiasm, with all of your higher consciousness, uh, maybe with all of your gut feelings, or maybe mind. So Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. That's the answer. God says, love me and use the mind I gave you. Use it thoughtfully. Use it critically. Use it searchingly. Use it humbly. And then Jesus said this. He says, this is the great and foremost commandment. Use the mind I gave you. Use the emotions I gave you. Use everything I've made you to be to find me. Because he's not hiding. It's me that was hiding. It wasn't God that was hiding. So... So why and how should I read the Bible? Let me just give you some, some quick facts about the Bible, which are maybe of some interest. Um, but number one, God has spoken. He, the Bible is a revelation of himself. Let me just give you some quick Bible facts here. Um, let's just take a look here. Okay, the Bible is comprised of 66 books, 37 in the Hebrew Scriptures, Old Testament, 29 in the, New Testament, in, the, in the New Testament. There are 40 authors across the Old and the New Testament that from various walks of life, there were kings and there were fishermen and you name it. Uh, across a time span of 15 to 1800 years, the Old Testament and the New Testament was written. It consists of narrative history, war stories, drama, exposition, letters, prophecies, sermon, and wisdom literature. It's written on three continents and is written in three languages. 
Okay, so we, we see here, it's, it's fascinating. We, ju- we were just take the, to break down the, uh, this here, and these are on your table tonight if you'd be interested in, in taking them with you. It's a good little bookmark if you'd like it. But basically, the first five books of the Old Testament are the law. It's the law of Moses. It's called the Pentateuch, the five, Pentateuch, the, or, the, or the Torah. It's the law of Moses. These first five books written by Moses. The next 12 are historical books, more historical. Certainly the first five are historical as well. Historical books are, the, are, are 12 of these books here, starting from, Josh, starting from Joshua all the way to Esther, the, much of the history of Israel. Then we've got the poet, poetic books, where five of those, you see those just right here, Job and Psalm and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and Song, that Song of Solomon. Then you have 17 prophetic books, right? 17 prophetic books. And then you have, what, and you have the major prophets and the minor prophets. The major, they're called major just because they're bigger books. These are smaller Right? It's not that these are minor. It's not like this is the major league prophets and these are the minor league prophets. No, this, they're still major leaguers. They're just smaller, just the books aren't as, or the manuscripts aren't as large. All right? And so we see the New Testament. We have the, we see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, not the ones that I thought they were. Um, and then, so the Gospels, the biography of Jesus, the Acts are the Acts of the Disciples. This is the history of the first church right here. These are the letters, the 13 letters that Paul wrote to different churches, people that were in Christ. If you were here last week, you remember we made a big deal of being in Christ versus being in Adam. Okay, These are the general epistles. And again, all written to followers of Jesus. And then, of course, the prophetic book is the book of Revelation. So you've got, we just got for your convenience, if you want to take that with you tonight, you've got that with you. So the Bible reveals in writing... What I know internally is true. Now think about what I just said. The Bible reveals in writing what I know internally is true. That there is something bigger than I. The Bible talks about in, in Psalm 19 that the heavens are telling. They're telling. They're speaking. They're declaring of the glory of God. His creation. And so we see that by what we see without and by what we feel within. So through creation outside and conscience, this conscience of right or wrong, where did that come from? The Bible says God gave it to us. He gave us the knowledge of him and he gave us the knowledge of what is right or wrong. So oftentimes, I was in North Carolina last week and that and I had the opportunity to be in Utah at a wedding a couple weeks back. And you just look at this and you feel something. Do you know what I'm saying? You're seeing something, but you're feeling something at the same time. And so when we open God's word, I have found oftentimes just as I'm reading something with my eyes, I am feeling something of him internally. So why should I read it? Well, if it's true... It holds the answers to the questions of life. We all have. But unless you and I know what it says, we won't know how important it is. Now, doesn't that make sense? How will I possibly know the importance of this document unless I know what's in it? And that's what, that's what we're attempting to do here in Alpha. Just kind of give us a taste of what this scripture says about God and who he is and we and who we are and how he wants to to bring us to himself and the necessity of coming 
to him because the, the Bible's purpose is to direct us to God. That's why God gave it to us, to direct us to him. I mean, but the problem is, you know, I know a lot of us guys, I'm not one of these guys, but I mean, guys typically don't like asking for directions. Right, ladies? Is that true? I mean, have you found that? You just drive three hours out of the way before he'll ask for directions. Uh, I'm not that way. I will stop and look for directions, ask for directions before Annette's ready to stop and ask for directions. But because I am a navigational midget, I have no sense of direction. But what if you're driving on the highway to hell? That's what I want to know. If you're driving on the highway to hell, how long do you want to stay on the highway to hell? Hopefully not too long. So what does the Bible tell us? What is, it, what is its purpose? Well, this is what Paul writes to Timothy, a, a young pastor. He says, all scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable. I like that word. Don't we like the word, we capitalists? We like that word profitable. Okay, it's profitable. So you have my attention. It's a profitable for teaching, for reproof or rebuking, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So the Bible's purpose is to teach us and rebuke us and correct us and train us by a God who loves us and desires to change us more and more into thinking and feeling and doing as he does. I, I don't know what kind of dad you had. I don't know if you had a dad at all. But many of us don't, we can't relate to a father teaching, rebuking, correcting, or training us without giving us a couple on the backside of the head. Right? And that may be a challenge. But this God says, I want to teach you and rebuke you and correct you and train you because all I want is my best for you to experience and receive. And that's what this Bible is given us for, to reveal more and more of the person of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit. Like I said, it's not the picture of religion that I held by faith. Sincerely, but wrong. I mean, I just kind of felt like God was waiting for me to screw up. And just standing there with that hammer, just waiting for me to mess up. But that's not who I found in the God of the Bible. Because everything I found about him was love motivated. So the Bible really, it's, it's our manual for life. Now, if you think about this, um, uh, any of you guys... Uh, ever put a bike together? Put bikes together. Bike together. Right? It's Christmas. It's Christmas Eve. You've bought the bike for, right, the daughter, the son, and you, you know, what do you do? You empty the box out and pieces are all over the place and, but you can handle this thing, right? So you put that thing together and, you know, you know where the handlebars go and, the wheels and the little fenders and the chain and the pedals and all that stuff and you got it all together and uh, feeling pretty good about yourself and then you see this part 
sitting there on the ground. You've you been there? I've been, I've been there. So what do you do then? You look for the instructions. That's right. You look for the instructions. And much to your dismay, early on in the instructions, it says, important. <laughs> this piece, and you're looking at the illustration of that piece, and it looks just like that piece that's on the ground, must be placed here early in the assembly of the bike. Now, it's, it's, it's 1.30 in the morning now. And you've got three more bikes to put together. <laughs> and at that moment, you just very calmly open the front door of your house. No, no, no. Let's back up. It'd be better. Let's go out the back door of the house. We're on the back door of the house. We open the door. We step out into the chilly night. But it doesn't matter because you're so hot right now. It's burning up. <laughs> and, and you say... Curse you, Mr. Schwinn. I hate you for making a bicycle like that that I could possibly miss a part. You're going to blame Mr. Schwinn on that, right? He gave you the manual. He gave you the instructions. Well, God gave us a manual too. He gave us instructions. I mean... If we can't even put a bicycle together, how are we going to put life together? <laughs> you see, God has given us the Bible because he loves us and he knows we need something in writing to remind us of him. You know, Annette and I were parted for when I, when I was still at LSU and uh, she was in New Orleans. And those were the days when you wrote letters. Do you remember that? Wrote letters, stamps, sticky things you put on the end of the top side of the envelope. And, um, and I just couldn't wait. Every day, I'm getting a letter. She's getting a letter. And I, while I was away from her, I loved reading those letters. Loved them. They were stupid. They were goofy. She has even read them in public. Some of the ones I wrote to her, which is very embarrassing. Um, but while I was not with her, those words just washed over my heart and my mind and made me all the more not be able to wait to be with her. See, God has given us the Bible. So in reading this word, we come to know him more and love him more and trust him more and experience him more until the day we get to be with him walking up the stairway to heaven. <laughs> uh, not the highway to hell. Um, see, the Bible, here's what the Bible does. The Bible reveals that you and I have a need for God. And without Him, the parts don't come together. But here's the issue. that every, I believe every one of us in this room has this. If you, if, but the question is, do we all see it? And that is every one of us have a need that is impossible for us to find the answer to that need, the fulfillment of that need, the satisfaction of that need, apart from what God says he gives us in himself. And he reveals that through 
his love letter to us. Um, But here's the question that I had to ask myself, and maybe you have to ask yourself, do I see that need? Because if everything's just hunky-dory, and everything's just wonderful, and everything's just all honey, no bees, everything's just perfect, this is nice information. See, but God brought me to the place where I saw I was broken, I was irreparably broken, and nothing I had done or could do could repair me, could give me that hope, could give me that faith, could give me that peace, could give me certainty that I would be with him the moment my heart stopped. And if Jesus is raised from the dead, that was a pretty good indicator that this very well may be true. And what I had experienced myself and what others were telling me about Jesus before I had experienced that myself was a was, a, was like a siren call to, to him. But need is the issue. And it's what the Bible tells us every one of us has. But none of us can have an answer for apart from Christ. Now last week, if you were not here, hopefully I can help do this real quickly. But remember last week we talked about, how many were not here last week? Just real quick. Okay. God, you missed it. It was awesome. You really missed it. Uh, um, Last week, we talked about Charles Blondin, around 1830, strapped a a tightrope across the rapids of Niagara Falls. He had an audience there. We'll just make ourselves the audience. And he went back and forth across the rapids of Niagara Falls, doing amazing things. He, said, he came back and he said to us, the, the, the audience that were there, he says, hey, I can take a person, put them in a wheelbarrow, take them from one side of the falls to the next. Do you believe me? He said, well, no, before you do that, let me take my manager. He puts his manager inside the wheelbarrow, takes his manager from one side of the falls to the next. He comes back to the audience and says, I can take a person, put them in a wheelbarrow, take them from one side of the falls to the next. Do you believe me? And Mark says, yes, I believe you. And then Blondin says, then get in. See, you and I can, can have mental assent to something. Oh, yeah, I believe that. But when do I believe it? When I get in the wheelbarrow. See, it's just a publicity stunt. Because the minute Mark says, yes, I'll get in, do you know what every one of you do? Oh boy, this is going to be good. <laughs> I hope I can make it to YouTube before anybody else on this. <laughs> that's, that's what we would do today. But here's the thing. It's just a publicity stunt. Why am I going to put 100% of me into a wheelbarrow trusting somebody to take me from one side of the rapids to the next? Why would I do that? Unless I had a need to do that. Well... So you're all here, you're all gathered around, the rapids are behind me, I'm saying I can take a person, put them in a wheelbarrow, take them from one side of the rapids to the next. But what you don't see is behind you, the entire forest behind you, the only way to get in or out of this area of the rapids has caught on fire. And the fire is not diminishing, it's it's expanding. The fire is going totally out of control. And you're moving closer and closer to the rapids as you're feeling the greater and greater discomfort of the heat. You with me? 
Can you feel it on the back of your neck? Okay. And so then I say, uh, I can take a person, put them in a wheelbarrow, and take them from one side of the rapids to the next. Now you can say, the heck with your wheelbarrow, and you jump into the rapids. Or you can say, the heck with your wheelbarrow, and you, who suffer vertigo most of the time anyway, are going to put yourself in a tightrope and think you're going to get across the rapids. Nobody's ever successfully done that. See, when there's a need is when I have to make a decision. When that fires on me and I see really no way of escape is when will I take Jesus up on the fact that he went from one side to the next and came back to get me, to take me with him. It's not a publicity stunt. If this is true, it's a matter of life and death. And so the question is, do you, maybe I'm saying it too dramatically, do you feel the heat? Do you sense inside something that no amount of money, no amount of relationship, no amount of fulfillment, no amount of accolades, honors, no amount of stuff can actually fill you? then you're feeling the heat. And you know why the heat is there? Not because God doesn't love you. If it's to bring you to him, right? Christ came to reveal our sins to us that we would recognize our sins so that Jesus could bring us to God. So think of Blondin here as being brought to Christ. The discomfort is there as a gift. Did you hear what I said? The discomfort is there as a gift. Because if you didn't feel the discomfort, if I didn't feel the discomfort, I wouldn't know there was a need. The Bible reveals there's a need that I can't fulfill. And that God in his love turns up the heat to bring me to himself because he loves me not because he's angry with me but because he loves me for God so loved the world that he turned up the heat to bring us to Christ and so again maybe maybe you're again here curious and I'm so grateful that you're here at all maybe you're curious maybe you're challenged or callous, I, I don't know, but you're curious and you want to know more. Thank you for being here. Uh, and when, I'll meet with you anytime, anywhere to talk more about this. You're convinced. You've heard about Jesus your whole life. You go to church every week. You say your prayers. But you don't know that you've ever gotten in that wheelbarrow. You don't know that you've ever committed 100% of yourself to a God who committed 100% of himself to you. Or, again, this is what happened to me when I was 19. I got in the wheelbarrow. But I committed myself not to be a better person and a great Christian. I committed myself to be committed to his perfection, not my perfection. His ability, not my ability. His endurance, not mine. I surrendered myself completely to him. And I got in the wheelbarrow. 
I said, I do. I received the gift. And that changed me. So God's love letter is to reveal the truth about his character and thereby draw us to him. This is what, this is what Paul told Timothy, that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that does what? That leads to the wheelbarrow. That leads to salvation. That leads to escape through faith which is in, remember that two-letter word, in, I don't have time to go into that anymore tonight, but in Christ Jesus. You see that? These sacred writings are able to give you wisdom that leads you It's able to turn up the heat in your heart that leads you to Christ. See, the Bible is to draw us into relationship, not to draw us into more rules and more regulations and more guilt and more condemnation. Christianity is the exact opposite of that. Again, I'll share with you a scripture that you've heard already. Here's Matthew 11. Jesus says this, Come to me. Come to me, all of you who are weary, burdened. I will give you rest. Do you see that? Does that sound like an invitation to come and experience rest and peace and comfort, security, solace? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I am gentle and humble at heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All of that is about Jesus saying, I want you to know me. I want you to know me. I want you to experience me. I want you to know everything there is to know about me. Here's what Jesus said in John 10.10. I have come that they might have life and might have it abundantly. He did not say, I came that they may have rules and have them abundantly. Commandments, regulations, stipulations. He says, no, I came that you may have life and have it fully. Now, what he is saying here is basically this. If you boil down the Bible, if you just boiled all those words down into one thing as it describes God, and it would describe God as this, relational at the essence of who God is, he is relational. Let me prove it to you. We have been made, the Bible says, Genesis, first chapter says, that you and I have been made in the image of God. And the essence of who God is, is really when you think about this, the essence of who we are. We are made in the image of God. Let me take you into a, um, a funeral parlor right now. And let me take you in front of a coffin. It's an open coffin. And you're staring down into the coffin of the person that means more to you than anyone in the world. You there? You're standing there. You're staring, and that lifeless person in that coffin meant the world to you. What would you not give 
if you could, to get that person back. You'd give everything. What does that tell me? That at the deepest essence of who you and I are, what we really want when it gets right down to it is relationship. Two thousand years ago, or really even at the beginning of the creation, God stepped into his creation and he looked down into a coffin that had every one of us dead and lifeless. You and me, every one of us, dead, separated from him. And he looked into that coffin where we lie. And what did he give so that he could have us back? He gave his son. For God so loved us that he gave himself. He gave himself. He came down and entered into our death to be as one of us so that he could rescue every one of us who would get in the wheelbarrow, recognize the need and acknowledge, I need a savior. God loves you. He loves me. And he died to prove it. I'm going to stop there. But let me just do this. I don't know where you are. You know where you are, and God knows where you are. If all this stuff is true, he knows exactly where you are and what's going on in your heart this very minute. I don't. But he does. And just think about the fact that he would even want to. He wants to, and he does. There's nothing that you have ever done that is beyond the reach of God. There is nothing you have ever done or could ever do that is beyond God's reach and God's love for you. He proved it when he sent his son. And I just want to encourage you right now. I'm just going to just say a quick prayer and we're going to be dismissed to just take a quick break and then come back to the tables. But if tonight you realize, like, by God's grace, I realized, and many in this room have realized, I need a Savior. I'm broken beyond repair. But I want you, Jesus, to repair me, to make me new. I want to know this relationship with you. I want to be forgiven. I want to be yours. I want to be brought to you. And I want to experience a new life in Christ. And if you want that, you already want that. It's already in your heart before you say a word. But I'm just going to pray. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth, there's something that happens when words come out of our mouth. That, that, that verify, that, that corroborate what's already taken place in my heart. And so let's just, if you don't mind, you don't have to, but if you don't mind, just, just bow your head. You don't have to, but if you want to, you can. There's nothing magic about bowing your head, closing your eyes. But I would just encourage you, just you and God. Just 
Tell him what you want. Lord, is this true? That you really came and died for me? Well, tonight, I, I, I believe that. You, you love me and you came to die for me. You gave me your son so that I could have you. You took on my death so I could have life. You love me. You love me. If all I've ever done, all the ways I've cursed you, run from you, rebelled, you still have not run from me. You brought me here even. And so tonight, I, I get in the wheelbarrow. Tonight I say I do. Tonight I receive the gift of Jesus Christ. Come into my life. Change me, Lord, from the inside out. The way I think, the way I choose. And now let me love you and do things to please you, Lord, because I love you. Out of a relationship. And so thank you. Lord, thank you for loving me in ways in which I don't even love myself. And thank you for promising that you would give me life and life abundantly in the dash right now in this crazy earth. Even abundance of joy now and the moment my heart stops forever to be with you. Teach me more of you, please, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, folks, thank you so much for being here. Next week, we're going to be in session five. How and why do I pray? So we're going to get more into how do we communicate with God and all that. So let's take a quick break. Thank you again for being here. And let's get back to our tables.